0: Rabbit hole of avoiding reason on a daily basis that the president of the United States not only lies about weather patterns but he doubles down on that lie for the better part of a week and people support him. Yep, that hurricane's gonna go clear on through Phoenix. <laughs> president said so. And so did all them scientists at the Crayola Marker factory, which of course is bullshit because the Crayola Marker factory shut down its Peoria location a couple years ago, um, and they moved to China, and then all of their scientists were killed by Jeff Epstein. That's true. Uh, So when we argue, we don't think. Um, we, we, we puke out words from our gut feelings that take and, and we take whole offense when anybody disagrees with us even slightly Even agreeing to disagree is off the table these days Instead we write them off as snowflake or racist or some other kind of offensive term This is not Donald Trump's doing this is not new. This has been building for a long time. Donald Trump and this state that we're in right now is is a result it's, it's been building for a while, so Donald Trump is a result of all that shit. This is our fault, but tonight is different. Tonight is a special night, and not just because Texas is playing New Orleans. Woo! Tonight we're gonna to take a break from our usual banter. The arguing, the canceling, the blocking, the unfriending. Tonight, like the debates at the Bug House Square in Washington Square Park in the mid 20th century, tonight we're gathered here to debate the pressing topics of the day using our minds, using reason. This is the art of the dialectic. Our topics tonight, the topics, the hot topics of the day that we are here to debate. Since we just came off of Labor Day, let's talk about unions. Are unions good or bad for industry? Is the Indian summer racist? And finally, which are the better suburbs, the north or the south?
1: Welcome to the stage, Paul Tioto and Sarah Bunger. Let's take a moment of silence. So that means I request that you're silent. For the eight people, seven police officers, and one bystander who were killed May 4th, 1886, at the Haymarket Square, just a few blocks from this very building. What may not be remembered or what you may not be aware of is what prompted the protest that occurred on May 4th. The protest occurred, the march occurred on May 4th because the day before, May 3rd in 1886, a group of workers, primarily immigrants, many from Germany, but also from Ireland, Italy, and Greece, were killed at the hands of the police while conducting a peaceful protest against their employer, the Reaper Company, due to the fact that the employer paid low wages, unsafe working conditions, inhumane treatment, and inappropriate behavior in the context of all human beings. The two individuals that organized that protest the day before were a married couple. The married couple were Lucy and Albert Parsons. Lucy was part African American, part Native American, and part Hispanic. For the first 20 years of her life, she was an owned slave. Her husband was a politician and a minister. They organized the folks in this neighborhood to protest the working conditions. There were many, many employees, upwards of 2,500, in this protest. And the Chicago police became nervous, scared, angry, and killed eight of those people. The next day, the protest got larger. And someone who was never identified in the crowd threw a bomb towards the police. Seven were killed. One bystander was killed. Some of the radical protesters who the city at that time felt were the most dangerous were rounded up. They were tried quickly and convicted of murder. Four were hung and put to death within a month. One, waiting for an extended sentence for another judgment, killed himself while in prison. Two died of natural causes within the year. And the one that received the life sentence within two years was fully pardoned by a judge who indicated that there was no evidence whatsoever to convict any of those who had been convicted. The city of Chicago, subsequent to the convictions, began to ban unionization within the city given the fact that union organizers were perceived and deemed to be extremely dangerous and a threat to both the safety and well-being of members of community and also the ongoing progress in the Industrial Revolution. That idea was picked up in the state of Illinois, and the state of Illinois started to ban unions within the state. That idea was picked up in the United States, and the United States started to ban unions in the United States, and it was even picked up in industrialized Europe, and many unions were shut down in Europe subsequent to May 4th. 1886, Haymarket. I'd like to read a quote from a gentleman named John Dahlberg, born 1834, died 1904. Philosopher, politician, historian from Britain. You may have heard this before or derivatives of it. Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great and powerful men are always bad and evil men. He also wrote, There is not more perilous or immoral a habit of mind than the sanctification of success. And he also wrote, Liberty is not the power of doing what we like, but rather the right of being able to do what we ought to do. And to prove what he said to be right, he was one of the most staunch supporters of the Confederacy during the Civil War. Now, to me, when I read that, that seemed like a contradiction, except, in my opinion, it supported what he was saying, and it supported what I perceived to be one of the primary reasons why unions were established, and that was because some people call them the man, some people call them the arrogant one, some people call them the narcissistic one, some people call them the almighty, some people call them the all-powerful. When people get power, and oftentimes money is equated with power, What they say is, what they do is, right. I had a boss who used to say, this is this, right? This is that, right? The sun is pink, right? And finally, I got tired of being bullied by him. And I said, right, I guess. (laughs) is in the eyes of those with the power. So why the fuck are you even asking me? I was gone shortly thereafter.
0: <laughs>
1: so what I propose to you is that the real reason for the need, the necessity, and the development of unions is to take care of the rights and the liberties of those people who work in the organizations that they work within. Without organization, without a check and balance, like Dahlberg said, absolute power will corrupt absolutely. Thank you.
0: That's Paul. Paul, you want to sit?
1: Paul, sit here. Don't
0: leave just yet. Paul Choto, ladies and gentlemen, right there. All right, now, please welcome two-time Moth Grand Slam winner, Union Buster, (laughs) Sarah Bunker.
2: All right, all right, all right. It it is not lost on me that I'm making this argument in the Haymarket Pub & Brewery. Does that that work okay? Okay, ready? Here goes. I get it. I get it. Unions are an easy sell. I'm standing in front of folks who might be the sons and daughters of union workers. I myself was part of a teacher's union for the 12 years I taught in public school. But then I wised up. I did my research and went beyond what I so blindly believed for years. And here's the thing, you guys. It's not all Norma Ray standing on a table helping the masses in that North Carolina factory. That was a movie. Movies are make believe as are the benefits of unions. For the ease of the argument, I'll focus on the three parts that I suspect you care about the most. Up first, money, money, money. Unions supposedly help to negotiate better wages for employees. The idea is using the collective has greater power than if the individual goes it alone, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's super easy for management to shit can Tommy on the assembly line and quickly replace him with someone willing to work for a paltry wage. It's obviously more difficult to fire everyone on that particular assembly line. Big company money will be lost. So all right, pay everyone a little more money and unions have worked for you. But remember, unions have dues. It costs you to be part of a union. It's estimated that most unions charge between one and three percent of wages earned, but the average increase negotiated in your salary is a disappointing 3%. So you basically canceled out your own raise. But worse than that, since the union contracts have a shelf life of about five years, you locked yourself into that meager raise for years, even though COLA in 2020 is estimated to be as high as 5% for Chicagoans. Joining that union is actually imprisoning you, and the union reps have the key to your cell. You will definitely need more money over the course of those five years, but you will be contracted to earn less because of your union. And then they will negotiate again and expect you to thank them for continuing to lose you money. Do you really want no control over possible wage increases? Be honest with yourself. Moving on, safe working conditions. Unions are supposed to protect you from poor or unsafe working conditions. Sounds good to me. I can hardly argue against that, and unions were hella necessary in 1881 when conditions were incredibly dangerous. If I am to glean from the photos in my high school history book and read it um, correctly, it was common to see eight-year-olds steaming shirts in a factory that was liable to explode into flames at any moment. And that shirt steaming job was procured after four years as a chimney sweep or some shit. I don't know. I get it. Times were pretty tough, and unions saw to it that kiddo stayed in school until he was 12 before staining those shirts. Bravo, Teamsters Local 179. (laughs) But it's not 1881, or even 1971. We don't need Mother Jones or Cesar Chavez anymore. It's 2019, and while it's true that we live in a dystopic garbage fire, it's not because we are in want of unions. A union isn't gonna create a safe workplace, OSHA is. It's federal law. Unions are not going to guarantee an eight-hour workday. As a teacher, I routinely worked and worked 12 to 13-hour days. No union could have possibly assured me that I didn't have to grade all those essays on the weekend. And think of yourself for a second. Do you really work an eight-hour day? Or do you routinely have to respond to emails, prepare presentations, get that Slack account up and running at home on the sofa watching Netflix? Hmm. Be honest with yourself. Three. Job security. Unions are supposed to prevent folks from being summarily fired. Sounds great. I'd like to have a union rep represent me to Linda in HR before I get walked out of the building by security. But unions don't protect everybody. They mostly protect those with seniority. The vast majority of unions abide by the last one hired, first one fired philosophy. If you are a low man on the totem pole, you're basically fucked no matter what. Uh, and no matter how assiduous you are in your work. So what if the most recent hire is actually the most competent? What if you finally get a boss you can stand who doesn't mansplain to to you the benefits of using Google Share Drives for project management, (laughs) but she gets pink-slipped because she happened to be hired last? Where does that leave you? Well, buckle the fuck up, lowly employee, because here comes bossy McGoogle Share Drive to lean over you (laughs) while you add to the spreadsheet for this month's expenses. And wait a minute, what if the most recent hire is you? Do you believe in that seniority idea as fervently? Be honest. And if all of this historically backed scientific data isn't enough for you, then let me give you a personal story. I worked at a large public high school in the suburbs of Dayton, Ohio in the late 90s. I was thrilled to be working at a job I loved, and I was immediately conscripted into the union. Sure, I had a choice, but not really. You joined or you were targeted by the union as an outsider. Anyhoozle, I worked across the hall from a guy named Greg Ginnis. He was about 15 years into his career and was already counting down the last 15. And I'm not joking. He photocopied a huge pile of handouts in August. He was often ground zero for the copy or jamming in those days before school. And he used these worksheets all year long. I'm talking it was a stack higher than the filing cabinet next to it. These handouts were only rote information. No real learning was taking place. Kids finished their work in about 20 minutes, then spent the rest of the time sleeping or leaving the classroom with one of those huge hall pass keychains. Mr. Ginnis, for his part, sat at his desk, feet up, reading the local newspaper. And I mean he did this every day. And because he was fully vested in the union, he was unfireable. Good old Greg was free to drink his coffee and read the Miamisburg Daily Herald with impunity, no matter how many of his kids couldn't pass the history portion of the Ohio graduation test, which was a requirement for graduation. And perhaps the most noteworthy anecdote of dear old Mr. Chips is that every day, without fail, he would walk through the teacher's lounge during lunch, newspaper in hand, to go to the staff-only restroom. As I would try to eat my lean cuisine in peace with my fellow colleagues, we'd hear various and sundry noises from the single stall, <laughs> groans, grunts, sounds of a hard-won battle with the toilet. <laughs> Mr. Junis within exit, often exhaling dramatically and waving his hand around a bit to dissipate the smell. This guy was fully protected by the union. No matter how poorly he performed, how detrimental he was to his students, how regularly he shat three feet from me while I ate, he was never going to be fired or even disciplined. I ask you, do you want a dude shitting near you while you eat lunch? Do you want your kids to fill out worksheets in history class while Teach does the Tuesday crossword? Is that what you really want? Be honest with yourself.
0: <laughs> okay, are there any questions from the audience for either of the debaters and or both of the debaters? No questions.
2: Peter, Peter?
0: Peter, when you're done chewing.
3: Yes. Okay, um, about how long uh, were these
0: don'ts? Oh, like. No, let me, for the listeners, sure. sorry. The question was for Sarah, uh, about how long were his dumps?
3: Temporally, not.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five meter. Yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. So it was a long haul in there, and if you think about it, like five minutes in the can is kind of a long time, and we had like a twenty-eight minute lunch, give or take, and I mean, like, I'm gonna say. 8 to 12 minutes of it was Greg Jenis like going to town on that toilet. Yeah. Yeah, every day. Every day I saw it.
0: Did that help your decision at all? (laughs) (laughs) Judge Buckner. No, it didn't. No? Okay. Um, That's okay. Any other questions? Anything for Paul? About the history of... Nothing? Okay, cool. Um, Judge Rose, are you ready to make a ruling? Uh, Yes, I am. Okay. Let's have it.
2: Okay. Strictly because of the argument. It's um, well laid out, and um, am I supposed to say,
0: or...? You can do it every um, one. You're the judge. You have total control of the room, and every single person and all of these people.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have influence over
2: all of them. know so this is heavy. I mean, I have to do some deep breathing, but... <laughs> the memory
0: that was stamped on you emotion were you here for the were you here oh, in 1886 was. you <laughs> look amazing and better like you move great like you have like the mobility of like a 40 year old woman that's yeah that's incredible i know i try
4: acupuncture
0: like what's just green? okay Sir Bunger, unions <laughs> <You laughs> cause more problems than they solve. There we go, thank you. And Rose, that was Paul, thank you very much. <laughs> that was a great explanation of your ruling and I, we have to reiterate that that's the whole point, exactly that is the whole point of this show, is that it's not about even what you agree with, because I don't know what you agree with and I don't care whether you think unions are good or bad. Um, It's how well you construct the argument. Because you can come at me with this whole Trump argument thing that he's the greatest president ever, which he's not. Let's be fucking serious. But if it's a well-constructed argument, I'll at least listen to it. And if you've got good points, I'll respect your opinion. And then I can disagree, but as long as you're not a fucking asshole about it, right? Like, that's the whole point. So that's that's exactly why we're here. Yeah, and I just – I'm reiterating that that's, you know, Rose – we, whatever all right Sorry. thank you Lauren Sorry. so well done well because you know the thing is a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago we had a a judge her name was Jordan Burkhart. it's probably still Jordan Burkhart. Um she's a good friend of mine and I trusted her with the with the judgeship which is a it's I mean this is serious stuff and she ruled all three times because of what she felt she's like well there was an argument about what was it I think Vincent you were here um, it was a black woman versus a white guy, and she was like, I'm ever going to side with a white man? Like, you can't do that shit, Jordan. That's the problem, right? It has to come down to what we're actually talking about and the facts we use. And Okay, so, uh, all right, lesson over. Sarah, well done. Enjoy that beer. Paul, well done. Sorry, do you want a beer anyway? Okay, good. Because um, daddy's broke. Okay, uh, bout number two. We ready for that? Oh, yeah! So we are right now, we are in what they call the Indian summer. Or, or we're not, but we're going to, Lauren just, Lauren we just uh, made a gesture, but we'll, we'll find out. For those of you who don't know, the Indian summer is at the end of the season, when things get really hot, before they get really cold. Sometimes the Indian summer extends into October, like on Marathon Day, which I hope it doesn't this year because I'm running the motherfucker and I don't want to die. Maybe I will by then, I don't know. It's a a day by day, day by day. Um, All right, so let's find out now. Is the Indian summer racist? Lauren Reed, Peter Kermidis, please come to the stage.
4: Okay. Disclaimer, I am white. You are all white. I have no idea what it's like to be treated in such a shitty way like the indigenous people of this country have been. Therefore, it's hard to debate on behalf of people that I am not one of, but for the sake of this argument, I'm going to do my best, and I will refer to indigenous people as indigenous people because one, they are indigenous to the land we inhabit, two, they're people, and three, it seems to be the most respectful term to use. First. I would like to point out that just last week, the singer Lizzo called out a fan for saying, Lizzo is my spirit animal. Lizzo responded by saying, spirit animal is offensive to First Nation and indigenous tribes. Lizzo knows what's up, maybe because Lizzo is a black woman and she is understandably in tune with racism and its subtleties. Okay, It was really well timed. I just thought it was appropriate. Okay, So is the Indian summer racist? Do white people say it? Then yes, it's probably racist. Would you comfortably say Indian summer in front of an indigenous person? Or would your blood pressure rise as the words leave your mouth? Would you feel completely comfortable saying it in front of other white people? What about Indian giver? Would you say that? Look, it's 2019 and white people are stumbling all over the place with how to handle situations exactly like this. If you say Indian summer in front of an indigenous person, you may not even understand why it feels wrong, but you know in your gut that it might be wrong. Because to you, it's largely harmless. The word Indian, you know it's a little iffy these days because you usually hear Native American or indigenous person. But you know words that are way more offensive and saying Indian doesn't greet you with backlash. And indigenous people summer sounds weird and takes too long to say. But that doesn't mean it's okay to say Indian Song. Alright. First of all, I do way too much research on these things. Okay, first of all, indigenous people definitely aren't Indians. They're not from India. Nor are they from the East Indies where good old Christopher Columbus thought he landed. So really referring to anyone in the Americas as an Indian is at the very least incorrect. It doesn't make the term okay just because Columbus was mistaken, and it doesn't make it okay just because we've always called them Indians. Let's say someone came to America today and just decided that they must obviously be in Canada. So this person and all his buddies start calling you a Canadian. that bug you, right? Because this idiot is wrong. I bet at some point an indigenous person was like, why do they keep calling us Indians? And his buddy was probably like, I don't know, but it bugs me even more that they keep saying they're not gonna steal any more of our land, but they keep doing it. Okay, I'm gonna bring up sports because you knew this was coming. So we have the Cleveland Indians and their mascot, Chief Wahoo. Chief Wahoo is a red-faced, big grin caricature of an Indian. Indigenous groups have, for years, been asking the team to get rid of Chief Wahoo. And I'm happy to report that just this year, after a lot of pressure, the team did ditch Chief Wahoo. But that doesn't mean the team wanted to, and that doesn't mean that all the t-shirts and hats with Chief Wahoo on them will go away. And in the NFL, we have the Washington Redskins. There's been an ongoing legal battle for years for the team to change its name. I'm just going to stop with those two because they're the worst. And here's why. They're racist as fuck. Because when a minority asks you to change something because it's offensive to them but you don't want to because somehow your love for a cartoon or a sports team's name is more important to you, you're being a racist. So why do I even bring this up? What do these have to do with Indian summer? It's the blatant disregard for a group of people. It's the way they have to fight to get rid of the derogatory Chief Wahoo and Redskins name before they can even start to tackle the word Indian. So what even is an Indian summer? It's it's an unusual warm and dry spell in an otherwise typically cool fall. We're talking October and November, after we've already had a good frost or two. So it's a markedly warm temperature when it's really not normal. A lot of people think we call it an Indian summer because in North America, during an Indian summer, indigenous people would take advantage of the weather by hunting and harvesting. It was a nice occasional phenomenon that the indigenous people told the settlers about. So really, calling it an Indian summer would pay an homage to the natives for teaching them about the phenomenon. It seems harmless and nice. But really, the more probable origin of the term goes back to the very early early settlers would welcome the cold weather of late October when they could leave their stockades unarmed. But then it would suddenly turn warm again and the indigenous people would decide to have another fight with the settlers. So the settlers started to call it Indian Summer. So the term Indian Summer <coughs> might not be so racist if it weren't for the history between the indigenous people and the settlers. We've gotta take into account the context. We've had some really bad run-ins. We've fucked them over quite a bit. So it's pretty shitty to be using a term like Indian summer. It's not innocent. I would even go so far as to argue that city names like Chicago and Milwaukee are a little fucked up, too. We took their land and we kept the name. (laughs) There are so many rivers and cities in this country that we didn't name and we didn't have the decency to rename them. Think about that. Like, Milwaukee means the good land. And we just took it and kept it. We took the good land right from them and didn't even change it to Smithville. <laughs> like, now it just sounds like a taunt. But we were so excited when we first got here and we took the East Coast, like New Amsterdam, New Hampshire, Maryland. But like, before we even got halfway across the country, we got fucking lazy and we're like, Yo, the natives call it Ohio, let's just roll with it. (laughs) Like, all the excitement is worn off. It's insulting and it's rude. It's like a football game that's a complete blowout. This team is up by 60 points and they go for a touchdown when they could have just kicked a field goal. So, in conclusion, is the Indian summer racist? Yeah, it is.
0: (laughs) 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 Alright, Peter. Are you ready for the counter argument? Yeah. Peter Kremitas, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And before we begin, really quickly, and Rose, this should not, and I mean this, this should not persuade you in any way whatsoever. It was Peter's birthday yesterday. Come on. Happy birthday Peter. Let's sing the fastest version of Happy Birthday to Peter in human history. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy
3: birthday, dear Pete. Happy birthday to you.
0: All right!
3: I don't care about Indians. Sorry, I just thought it'd be a funny way to follow having happy birthday sung to you. I care about Indians. Let me begin with a quote from Thomas Thomas Earl Petty. But she grew up tall and she grew up right with them Indiana boys on them Indiana nights. That's Thomas Earl Petty noted musician and heartbreaker from his song, Last Dance with Kim Basinger, released in 1993, producer uh, Rick Rubin, label MCA, America. I ask you, are these boys and knights racist? For what is Indiana but the word Indian with the suffix a? (laughs) They're basically the same thing. Never once in my youth, having myself grown up in the state of Indiana, did I ever say to myself, wow, my state was racist. It's so racist. To be clear, the people in the state are racist, but the landmass itself, shaped like a torn piece of toilet paper, it's not racist. All it knows is how to grow corn, or as the Indians call it, maize. <laughs> Today I will prove definitively that not only is the period of time between September and November with clear and sunny skies and higher than average temperatures, known colloquially as the Indian summer, not racist, but that it is in fact racist, but because it is, it isn't, and it's actually worse. Now, I bet you're asking yourself, what? Okay, listen, allow me to walk you through my mental labyrinth or as Indians call it, my mental corn. (laughs) Let us start with the supposition that racism is bad. I and my opponent agree on this front. Because we are both forward-thinking people with forward-thinking, progressive, open-minded brain grapes and I applaud my opponent for not being a bigot and I applaud myself as well. Every day, racism is bad. Have I cleared my credentials? I think so, but here is where my opponent and I differ on this point, and it is. How bad is it really? <laughs> uh,
4: uh.
3: To be sure, pretty bad. For example, if I were to get up here and say, I think the hottest Indian summer is probably right after Thanksgiving because that's when we first gave them the smallpox fever. That would be a horrible thing to say if I said it. It would be very insensitive. A little funny, but no good. Though a jest it may be, it is still a machine of problems I call the problemomatic. But is it racist? Yes, actually. But really? Uh, yeah, kind of man. But is it placist? Yes, definitely. What is placism? I said placist. Play. P-L-A-Y cyst. That's when it may be racist but it's merely the racism of jocularity and tickles and shits and googly goos. So yeah, I get it, and I mean, uh, you're right, I know. Yeah, I apologize, absolutely, you're right. You know, I shouldn't have done that, but.
4: Uh...
3: But, and here's somewhere else where my opponent differ, is it worse Then smallpox, I don't know. Let's ask the Indians with smallpox. Oh, that's right, they are dead. (laughs) Do mere gags and buffoonery strike you dead where you stand as you slowly melt into a hot factory of shit, piss, and vomit? I don't think so, but real smallpox does. And uh, the answer is, of course, that you actually do shit yourself, but you like it. And that's what this, this debate is all about. <laughs> it is a known fact that laughing until you shit your pants is preferable to shitting yourself to death in a tent because you met a pilgrim. Now, to be clear, <laughs> the idea of shitting yourself to death in a tent being the consequence of meeting, merely meeting a pilgrim, yes, a little funny, but because pilgrims are funny. Not because smallpox is funny. And pilgrims are funny because they wear belts for hats. And that is, a, and that may not be the politically correct term for pilgrims, that they wear belts for hats. I don't care what you call it. To me, ladies and gentlemen, belts don't go on heads with two exceptions one, you are Quail Man, or two, you wear face pants because you have that disorder where your penis is your nose. (laughs) It's the only reason I can think of to have a belt on your forehead. Take that, pilgrims, but what of this Indian summer? (laughs) A term uh, first used according to my notes. uh, I don't give a shit. And uh, is there a better term for it? Well, according to my notes, the reason we call it Indian summer is because I don't know. Now, I will concede, that sounds bad and unresearched, but is it inaccurate? For what other color leaves descend in the autumn? Orange. Never mind. Now, now that I have convinced you that the Indian summer is not racist, but I might be, You may be saying to yourself, well, okay, but you still haven't told us what's worse than racism. And ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that while there are a few things worse than racism, I think that the apocalypse might be. Hear me out, for what is hotter than both summer and smallpox? The answer is next summer, forever. So, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, climate change. Every summer will be the hottest summer of your life, for the rest of your life, and by extension, probably the fall, and what, that's, that's where the term Indian summer really offends me. As a white man, that's who it's, it's, it's a cruel Jake, a reminder, Indian summer every fall that our chickens have come home to roost upon us for the arrogance of our manifest destiny as we slowly die in the throes of late-stage capitalism. Oh, ha-ha, very funny, Indians. You have to remind us that we were the bad guys here, and it would have never happened had we not shown up. Ha-ha-ha, that's racist for white people. But you can't be racist against white people, so it isn't racist. Follow me. (laughs) So, uh, ha ha, ha, we get it Indians. So, the term Indian summer is racist, but it, it isn't, ipso facto, it isn't racist. Uh, uh, this concludes my book report.
0: <laughs>
3: you're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Peter Kermidis. Okay,
0: do we have, uh, uh, do we have any questions? For either Lauren or Peter. Do we have questions for Peter? No questions Questions for Lauren. Cool. I think what we learned there is that there are two sides of the argument, those who research and those who do not. So that's great. But they can both make the arguments. There you go. Uh, the Honorable Judge Rose Buckner, what do, you, uh, what do you say? This was a tough call, but uh, what?
2: I give
0: it to Lauren. Lauren is the winner. Okay. <laughs>
5: Thank you. Um, as Davey said, um, we're talking about the North and the South Suburbs tonight. But even though I'm from the North Suburbs and Davey is from the South Suburbs, I don't hate the South Suburbs. Because the South Suburbs gave me Davey Himmel, who is one of my closest and dearest friends. Um, I met Davey when I was about 11 or 12 years old at summer camp. And he was from this mythical land, he told me, called Homewood Flossmore. And it sounded magical. I'm from Northbrook, Illinois. Um, Davey was from Homewood Flossmoor, and and we became great friends. Um, So whatever I say tonight, just know that I do have love in my heart for the south suburbs. One of my fondest memories growing up is going to, well now it's called Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, but back in my day it was called World Music Theater. And that's in the south suburbs near Homewood Flossmoor. And I had some of the best concerts and experiences of my life there. I spoke to Steven Tyler from the stage when he came out early for a sound check, And I fought a girl over John Mellencamp's drumstick that he threw into the crowd. So I have plenty of great memories. However, the South Suburbs is still a little bit lacking over the North Suburbs. Um, for starters, if you go to World Music Theater, now Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, there's a very good chance you're gonna get killed by a really beard up, tatted up redneck. There's, there's a good chance. Somebody who's been on a meth jag for about three days because honestly, that's where the drugs come from is the south suburbs. But I digress. You'll also have to leave in about an hour. It's gonna t- take about an hour to get out of traffic from that place. The north suburbs has Ravinia. A train drops you right off in front of it. There's wonderful acts that are there orchestra, uh, you have symphony, you have movies, well-known artists, children's events, and just a great time. You can sit on the lawn, you can have a wonderful beer, some wine, and just generally enjoy yourself on the evening. Um, Pardon me. The obvious points of the north shore, or the north suburbs, excuse me, is that the education is phenomenal and it's a lot of affluent, uh, excuse me, affluent people. That's true, I'm not gonna expound on that. Most of the top 10 high schools in Illinois come from the north suburbs. Education's good, we have the lake. We have these obvious things that just automatically make us appealing. The south suburbs, it doesn't have a lake. It might have a pond. (laughs) Or, I don't know, does the Himmel House have a pool? There was no pool at the Himmel House. But besides that, that's boring stuff, nobody needs to hear about that. I'm gonna talk about the things that make the north suburbs really special. I don't know how many of you grew up in the eighties and early nineties, thank you. But But one of the most influential filmmakers of all time went to my high school, his name is John Hughes. John Hughes went to Glenbrook North High School which I am a proud alum of. I dare anybody to think of their childhood without thinking of a John Hughes movie and that is because of his experiences on the north suburbs. Movies such as Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller, Uncle Buck, Risky Business with Tom Cruise, even though that's not a John Hughes film, that was filmed in Highland Park. (laughs) Weird Science, 16 Candles, Some Kind of Wonderful, Home Alone, and many others that he wrote and directed. Also, we have a movie that won the 1980 Best Picture Oscar, and that's called Ordinary People. Filmed in the North Shore, filmed at Northbrook Court Mall, which is a mall I frequented quite often as a youth. Robert Redford, was there, my mom brought me in a stroller. Robert Redford commented on how much of a good-looking toddler I was. And to be honest, that movie could not have been filmed in the South Suburbs. The John Hughes experience could not have been filmed in the South Suburbs. There's just a the magical essence of the North Suburbs. And yes, yes, it's true. The North Suburbs can be snobby. They can be a bit elitist, they can be People can be assholes, I fully admit it. I myself wanted to leave the north suburbs as soon as I graduated and went on my way. But I do have a soft spot from where I'm from because of all the magical movie and artistic memories that were made there. Despite the John Hughes films that were filmed in and around the north suburbs, I want to talk about just some people that have shaped your lives that are from the north suburbs of Chicago. The funniest two men that I think is undeniable are from the north suburbs. Bill Murray and Robin Williams. Robin Williams was born in Lake Forest and he went to Lake Forest Elementary School and moved when he was 12 years old to Detroit. Can anybody name anybody funnier than Bill Murray or Robin Williams? I don't think so. And please note that they are not from the south suburbs. The most legendary actor slash action hero is from the north suburbs. Harrison Ford, Han Solo is from the north suburbs. Indiana Jones is from the north suburbs. President Jack Ryan, get off my plane, is from the north suburbs. And while he, he's not been as successful lately, again, try to define your life without Harrison Ford. John Cusack, Vince Vaughn, are two other famous actors that are from the North Suburbs. Phenomenal actors. Vince Vaughn, politically, might not be my favorite person in the world, but you cannot deny the essence of Swingers, Say Anything, High Fidelity, and other great films that John Cusack and Vince Vaughn made. You want to talk politics? Seth Meyers is from Evanston. Seth Meyers is one of the best political correspondents slash talk show hosts slash weekend update hosts of all time, born and raised in Evanston, a North Suburb. And I know what you're thinking, Rory, you haven't you haven't brought up music yet. One of the most famous singers of all time is from the North Suburbs. Eddie Vedder. Pearl Jam. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame from 1990 to 91 till beyond. Eddie Vedder has been part of the soundtrack of your life. Where have you been without Alive, Jeremy, Daughter, Yellow Ledbetter? Many other great songs. Elderly woman behind the counter of a small town. Eddie Vedder is a good person. He donates a lot of money to charitable causes. He helps fight the man. And he's just an overall wonderful human being. Now, we do have Fallout Boy, which is a bit, a bit of a blemish on the north suburbs. Pete Wentz <laughs> and Patrick Stump are both from Glenview and from New Nutri- uh, Where's New Trier? Winnetka. Okay. Yeah. So w- we're not without our faults. But lastly... And I'll end it on this. The greatest athlete of all time lived and resided in the North Suburbs, and that is Michael Jordan, the most famous basketball player of all time and probably one of the most recognizable faces. This is why the North north Suburbs is the best suburbs. Think of all the memories and magic that they've given you. Thank you.
0: Okay, no, that's that's harder than I thought it was gonna be. I thought he was just gonna be like, we have money, and that was gonna be it. Um, okay, first of all, uh, yeah, so like Rory said, oh, um, we're starting. Okay, cool. Um, like Rory said, uh, just to echo that and make it totally clear, I love this man, uh, he's been one of my best friends for the majority of my life at this point. 28. Um, which just, I just got this like, I rush a depression that just coursed through my everything. No, dude, I love you. It's cool. Um, All right, so yeah, so when I say what I'm about to say about the north suburbs, it's not because I don't love this man or even his family. I know his family or his dog. I've got cousins and my aunts and uncles. Like This is good things can come from his wife. Kelly came from the north suburbs. Like She's a good, wonderful person. I love her. Uh, Eddie Vedder, right? He's the fucking man. He amazing musician has done really great things with charity. Uh, Harrison Ford, dude, he still wears a fucking earring, and that's where we begin with the problem with the North Suburbs.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Rory mentioned the World Music Theater, or the Tweeter Center, or whatever the fuck it is now at the end of Foxmoor Road, Hollywood, Hollywood Casino, whatever. Yeah. yeah right. Um, yeah, he he said that we'll go down there and you you worry about getting mugged by a meth head or a drug addict. Like, yeah, South suburbs has the weird tweaky drug people. That's true. South suburbs cannot afford the good shit, so we get the bad shit. We have to cook it ourselves. That's that's how that works. Um, so while we get some weird ass fucking druggies trying to hit up the north the the North Shore kids um, at the at the 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 Pearl Jam show. Um, Let's not forget that the North Shore had Lori Dan. Right. Yeah. Does anyone remember Lori Dan? Yeah. Lori Dan was a babysitter in 1980-something. 88. who walked through the school. Like, she killed a bunch of people. This was a, a mass shooting that happened way before it was fucking cool. So I guess maybe that's a point for the North Suburbs. Like, way to go to set the stage <laughs> for those mass shootings, North Suburbs. Way to go, Lori Dan. We're, we're innovators. Uh, you are innovators. Um, all right, so, yeah, um, you mentioned, he mentioned the, uh, the schools in the North Suburbs, and that's true. Uh, there were really, really good schools in the North Suburbs. I went to homewood Flossmore High School. homewood Flossmore High School is one of the best schools in the state. Uh, it has been for years. Uh, it's a blue-ribbon school, which is something that matters. I don't know. Um, in 1996, when Bill Clinton was running for re-election... Clinton came and spoke at one high school in the state. That was our high school, home in Flossmore. I was a senior, and they, they, the helicopter flew down. We got like half a day, you know, the Secret Service had to do a sweep and everything. Um, And he he because he came to us because we're better than the North Sub, because it's gross. Um, And he wanted to, because what he was doing, because he was the first black president, he was talking to black people. Who here likes diversity? No, let me rephrase the question. Rose, you like diversity, right? Diversity's good, yeah? (laughs) right. Growing up in the south suburbs, my best friends were black. I listened to traditionally black music, R&B, hip hop, soul, right? Uh, My room was covered in pictures of of black artists. I had Bellevue DeVoe and Positive K and Jodeci and the, the list goes on. My dad at one point, came into my room, I was in seventh grade, and he said, David, do you want to be black? And I said, what? I, I don't know, no. Like, it didn't, I mean, I was perfectly fine being white. But And then he said, are you gay? Because my room was covered in pictures of black men, but that's a different story. So my point is, I Rory grew up listening to the worst fucking white music that ever existed, Bon Jovi, and all the other hair metal shit that meant fucking nothing. And it was so easy to knock that shit down when Kurt Cobain came and was like, and they're like, fuck the fucking hair metal, fuck it, we're done. Fuck fucking Guns N' Roses, they were fucking hanging on by a thread from the very beginning. I like Guns N' Roses, I love me some fucking poison, I get it, but that shit has no staying power. None, had none of it. Name one fucking black musician from the 90s. Hammer, Velvet
5: DeVoe.
0: Hammer? Do you own any Hammer albums?
5: I have his cassette tape.
0: Do you listen to it? Well,
5: I mean, who listens to cassette tapes anymore? But I listen Fair
0: to- enough, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Public uh, Enemy? Yeah, so. The point that I'm getting at is that gentrification is bad, right? The north side... They don't even know what that word means because they never have to worry about blacks coming up there. Or, or Latinos or whatever those people are. My town... We're predominantly black now. It's not a bad thing, I think it's a great thing, fine, I don't give a shit, whatever, it doesn't matter. But my high school that I went to is 75% black now. You can't, you know how many fucking white, there are more white people at Rory's High School, like that's where they, it's like the alien, like they just come out of fucking Glenbrook North, or what did you go to? I don't care, same fucking thing. It's a bunch of fucking white people and Jews and like one Italian, which is his wife.
5: We're actually predominantly
0: Asian. That's it. are predominantly Asian, okay. So let's talk about the money thing for a second. I went and visited Rory. I grew, like he mentioned in his argument that he I came from this magical land floss, home of Flossmore. He grew up in Northbrook. I'd never been to Northbrook. I'd been to Highland Park where my cousins lived, but like just to their house, so I didn't know what else was there. But like Northbrook kids, man, like those were like the kids with money. Like this fight, like this this thing. That everyone you hear in Chicago, it's like from. I went to Michigan State. I went to U of I, right? Like everyone that fu- everyone that's drunk in the city, watching a fucking football game on Saturday during the fall, those are Rory's fucking people. Those are Rory's fucking assholes. <laughs> Southsiders, we don't fucking go to college, and if we do, we go to fucking <laughs> we go to fucking UNLV, where the N stands for knowledge. Like we're fucking <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> 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 I so want to rebut
5: you.
0: Uh fuck was I talking about? Oh right, uh White people. White people, right. Ravinia? Jesus fucking Christ. Have you been to Ravinia? Yes, here's the fucking here's the game that people love to play and let's before I go on. Ravinia. Yeah, they get the Counting Crows, they get the, the Lenny Kravitz.
5: Show.
0: Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige is black. Lenny Kravitz is half Ding. something. Uh Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go over. Fuck it.
4: Uh, We'll
0: we'll see what I can do in the next minute. Uh, The favorite game, people, show of hands, who's been to Ravinia? You're all white. Do you know what the favorite game to play at Ravinia is? Who's eating camembert and cheese? Close. That's the second favorite. The first favorite is Find the Black. You won't fucking find it. They're not there, because Ravinia is a horrible place There's a bunch of rich people drinking their fucking wine, drinking, eating their camembert, whatever, just being, fu- like, let we got, we're going, to, we're going to see Simon and Garfunkel.
4: <laughs>
0: I can't see them, I can barely hear them, but we've got a table and there's cheese on it and I'm in a lounge chair. They have, they're fucking vapid asshats. Ding, ding, I did say that. What else? Oh, I was talking about the time I visited Rory in Northbrook. Uh, right, this magical place full of rich, wonderful Jewish people with all this fucking money like they fart and like matzah and dollar bills just come out of their butts. I get up to Northbrook. My mom drives me up. I was what, 14, 15, 16? I don't know. Right. The first time. And I'm, we're driving up there I remember thinking, well we must be lost because these houses are fucking tiny. Northbrook doesn't... I thought Northbrook had all these mansions and everyone was just living in, like, just huge fucking houses with these gorgeous lawns and gated fences, you know, the whole thing, because that's how those fucking assholes acted all the time. But their houses were smaller <laughs> than some of those in Flossmore. Ding, ding, ding. I love Johnny Hughes. I love Rory Zacker. Fuck the North Suburbs. We make better drugs in the South Side. Thank you. i want to rebut you. I should have two minutes. All right. So, does anybody have any questions for either Rory or I? Tom? I have a question for each of you. A question for each of us.
1: first. Okay. Is saying Indiana
0: Jones racist? Huh? Is the question. <laughs> is saying Indiana. Well, the question is Is saying Indiana Jones racist?
5: No, because they named the dog Indiana. So they're honoring the dog by taking the
1: name <laughs> Indiana
0: Jones. Well, but that goes against what Lauren was saying, but okay. All right, that's your answer. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. We can have a second opinion later. On. Sure. <laughs> then, you have a now, question for me? Yeah. Is saying some of my best friends were black people,
4: is that ever not
2: racist? Hmm.
0: Hmm. The question is Is saying that my best friends were black ever not racist. Of course it's not racist.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> What's
0: racist is my dad saying, Do you want to be black and are you gay? That's like, that's a whole fucking like level of there's a lot going on there. But I get his point. Like I'm I'm twelve years old, I'm just dis- i I'm discovering myself, my my and my room is covered in pictures of black men. I get it, you know. I will
5: also make a point that he made fun of uh, Harrison Ford's earring, which men can be wear earrings and do whatever they want. So that kind of well, is a little yeah, homophobic yeah. on your part. No. Why is wearing,
0: wearing just, an earring a homophobic thing? You, just, you said it like with such disdain. I'm talking about style. Like If, if Harrison Ford is wearing bolo ties or bell bottoms, well, I'd say Ford the same thing. Harrison
5: whatever fact. he wants. He's Han Solo and Indiana Jones.
0: Not anymore, he's not. He still is. How dare you? That's was his
5: thought. He we can't wear a He's Dr. Henry feet. Jones Jr. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways.
0: I have a question. Lauren has a question, yes. <laughs> for me. Okay. Do, you listen to Bone Thug? Do I listen to Bone Thug? Did, you? Did I? Did You're your fucking goddamn right. I rented my tuxedo junior year in high school. Listen to Bone Thugs and Harmony. East Eternal 1999. Come on, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You can sing Crossroads. You can sing Crossroads right now. Uh yeah. The first of the month every single fucking time, the first of the month arrives on the calendar, that song comes through my head. When when Eddie died, when our dog died? You think I didn't play Crossroads over and over and over again and just weep and lose my shit? Why they kill my dog and I miss my Uncle Charles? Come on. Sarah's got a question. Question for David. What time was it on the Swatch Watch? Uh, The time was 6 o'clock on the Swatch Watch. There was no time to chill. I had a date. Can't be late. Hey, the girl's going to do me. Uh, The question was, what time was it on the Swatch Watch? And the answer was 6 o'clock. And I had a date, which I couldn't be late. The girl was going to do me. When did Jeremy speak in class? Um, The question to to Rory is, when did Jeremy speak in class? (laughs) He spoke in class today. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other questions? All right, let's rule on this shit. Finally, let's get this out of the I'm way. Very aggressive right now. I am aggressive. Very aggressive. I'm an angry fucking psych- yeah. Sox fan, Southsider. That's true. Uh, I got into my own meth, man. No, I don't. I grew up with black people, so I'm an angry black man. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. That was racist. There you go, Tom. That one was. Yeah. All right. Okay, Rose. What do you think? Well, both, you know, very impressive. Everybody's Compelling. So impressive. Um, yeah. More bit, right. um, and so, but, you know, I have to disqualify you, David, because you went over time. I'm disqualified because I went over time. Twice. Uh, Three times. Blame disregard of authority. Nine oh, minutes 24 seconds. So Not oh. Wait, wait. I want to hear what Rose has to say right now. purely really on disqualification lack of discipline, <laughs> lack of discipline. <laughs> everybody else
5: everybody else abided by the rules south suburbs are af- all, you're you're above the law
0: no i'm not that's a technicality and that's fine all i accept it
1: the south suburbs are above the Fair well
0: yeah there's I I, the I I accept it okay i accept it um so yeah i don't know there you go but there's a there's a black mark. I mean, next to your name, it's like, well, he maybe he could have won. I mean,
5: oh, Jesus
0: fucking Christ, because it's mark. a black pen. I won. You lost. No, I know. That is the show. Thank you so much for showing up and tuning in, and we'll talk to you next month where we debate the hot topics of the day, and also. Go White Sox. Yeah.